0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by SugarWish. SugarWish is an online gifting site that provides a delightful gift experience followed by delicious treats. They get to choose delivered directly to their door here's how it works. A sugar wish can be sent to anybody. So if you're the recipient, you open up an email and it says someone has sent you a sugar wish. And you open it up, you click, and it says pick any four of these delicious candies um, to fill your basket. So you get to look through everything from gummy worms and M&Ms and Skittles and jelly beans and everything. Um, And you click and then check out And it's sent to you in this beautiful box with all these candies inside and a ribbon. And it's just beautifully packaged and sent right to your door. And so somebody, basically, you get to customize your own gift. And it's really awesome. And I did this. And I sent them to my son at boarding school. And we got some here for Halloween. And I highly, highly recommend uh, this company. Um, Definitely go check it out. SugarWish.com. This may have been one of my favorite episodes lately. I had the best time talking to Elizabeth Berg about her latest book, I'll Be Seeing You. Elizabeth is the author of many best-selling novels, including Open House, which was an Oprah's Book Club selection, Talk Before Sleep, and The Year of Pleasures, as well as the short story collection, which, by the way, I have to go out and get The Day I Ate Whatever I Wanted. Durable Goods and Joy School were selected as ALA Best Books of the Year. She adapted The Pull of the Moon into a play that enjoyed sold-out performances in Chicago and Indianapolis. Berg's work has been published in 31 countries, and three of her novels have been turned into television movies. She is the founder of Writing Matters, a quality reading series dedicated to serving author, audience, and community. She teaches one-day writing workshops and is a popular speaker at venues around the country. Some of her most popular Facebook postings have been collected in Make Someone Happy, Still Happy, and Happy to Be Here. She lives outside Chicago. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Fine. Thank you. I'm sorry to keep you waiting a minute. No, you didn't.
1: It's not even even 10 o'clock yet. I know. I try to be early, but I can't always. (laughs) I understand. A little bit. I want to tell you, you know, thank you for what you do I about you. It's, it's so, especially now it's so important and it's so impressive. And thank you for including me.
0: I am delighted to include you and thank you for thanking me. I love what I do. I just, every day is so amazing. I get to talk to women like you, but women from all over the world with so many interesting stories, novelists, nonfiction. It is so like intellectually and emotionally engaging. And I just love it. It's like a dream you, come
1: true. So. And you give that to, to so many others. So it's it's such a good thing. And, and especially now, again, those of good things mean a lot. So, Uh-oh.
0: okay. Okay. Well, thank you for saying all that. I'll be seeing you is so beautiful. Your memoir. I mean, I was crying at times. It made me so sentimental. The way you write about your parents was absolutely beautiful, as I'm sure you know, but maybe it doesn't hurt to hear again. It was just <laughs> a sensational memoir about aging and caregiving and all the rest. So bravo.
1: <laughs> I loved it. You know, I appreciate that on lots of levels, not least of which is the fact that writing something this honest is scary. And and you wonder if you're betraying people in presenting them this way. And of course, there's a section in the book about that. But in the end, I I thought it was probably worth it. And from what I've been able to see so far, it really has helped people. I think there's something about making yourself vulnerable about a complex issue that opens up a lot of things for people. So I'm very much gratified by that. Well, I'm I'm grateful to your
0: writing group, who I know you discussed this with early to see yeah. what they thought about it. Um, I'm glad they encouraged you to to get over the line and, and actually put it out into the world because it's true. I mean, sometimes you need a guide from other people and we all are going through this for the first time. We don't know what to do. So having a guidebook like yours or just knowing someone else's experience is yeah. so... Yeah. encouraging. And it's of course an issue for so many people having aging parents. I was wondering <laughs> because you, you wrote it in a diary style and of course it started in 2010. Did you write it at that time and then just leave it and wait till now? Or what happened? Tell me about the writing of this.
1: It, it was a mix, but for me as a writer, the way that I process things, the way I come to understand them is by writing about it. I wasn't sure that I would publish it, but I wanted to To remember, and I wanted to just get it out because it can feel like an incredible emotional load that you're carrying around going through these things. It struck me oddly that it's a kind of parallel for what we're going through right now, in that you're stuck in the middle, you don't know when it's going to end, you don't know how it's going to turn out. There are so many sad and fearful things about it. The pandemic's a little bigger than this, of course, because. Aging is a natural part of life. So, but in the same way that what helped me go through this experience was to, as they say, get small and take it day by day. That kind of philosophy is also helping me get through what we're all enduring now. And are you writing about it? I know you have a big Facebook blog and everything, but are you writing every
0: day to record how you feel in the moment now so you don't forget? No. With regard
1: to the pandemic, no. I do post occasionally and I've, whoa, I've really been struck by how People need that too, not just from me, of course, but from all kinds of sources where people are talking about it, getting it out, they're expressing their fears, expressing their anxieties and their sorrows, but also expressing what is still joyful, the things that remain that can really nourish and sustain us and support us. And people need that too. So, for example, the last post I did was, about trying to formalize some of the things that I do that bring me joy, like reading, like listening to music. And I'm a person like so many others that says, I'm going to do that, and then I don't do it. (laughs) It helps if I formalize it. So I say, okay, every Tuesday you're going to a concert in your own house. So I had on Benny Goodman the other day, and I'm telling you, I am telling you, it is joyful music. And I could just see those women standing at the big square microphone in their formals, you know, and swaying and singing these songs. And it was a moment and and it can be hard at a time of such crisis to take that in and have it. And for me, it's a matter of compartmentalization and saying, look, it's okay if you have this moment of joy, you're not taking away anything from anyone else. And in fact, you're building yourself up so that you can help yourself and others better. It's so true. Like the mom, you know, like the, if the mom doesn't take care of herself, forget about it. Yes, I <laughs> you know that all <laughs> <Yeah>. too well. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> actually going back to what you're saying about music, you had such a beautiful scene in your book about going to the concert by yourself and sitting there and seeing an older couple in front of you, the man, I think his name was Walter and the wife trying to, help him down the aisle and how when everybody applauded for the beautiful symphony, you felt like you were taking that as applause for Walter and the wife and the little steps nudging up and up the aisle to get out and on their way. And it was just such a precious moment. And of course, in your imagination, as you did throughout the book, you're like wondering what it's like for them at home, you know, as like, you did for one of the nurses who gave a weary glance and then you imagine her with like putting an afghan on her husband I can just see your mind working like you're tell me about that that well first of all music and second of all how your brain just seems to wonder it seems like you're always just wondering about what comes after what you've seen
1: yeah that evening was one of those times when You never know where inspiration or comfort is going to come. And I admired that couple so much. I I don't know their ages exactly, of course, but I think they were approaching 90. They were quite frail. But by God, they went out to the symphony. Not only did they go out to it, but they heard it. They felt it. And it was so difficult for the husband, especially. The wife was in a little bit better shape, but... He had his walker and he moved so slowly, but he came. And and I guess it's just to the second part of your question, I guess if you're a, a writer, if you're a novelist in particular, that is the way that your mind works. You're incredibly curious and always wondering about things and making stuff up. And, and I've done that since I was a child. I mean, it could be a ladybug. Well, where is she going home to? And what's her little house look like? And that's something that's been with me all my life. And honestly, I hope it always will be because it makes life very rich.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I do that too. And I wonder like, if I see a family, you know, what has just happened and what must people think of my family? Do they have it right? Do they know that this is my sister-in-law or, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I just have to wonder, I don't know. <laughs> Keeps it interesting, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The gears are always turning for, for certain kinds of people. It sounds like you're one of us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I noticed on your website, it took me like, <laughs> I could have read a book in the amount of times The amount of time it took just to read the descriptions of all your books and the motivation. You've written so many amazing books and so many bestsellers, and they all seem to have a little piece of your own experience, even just a smidge, or the inspiration came from something inside you. So I just wanted to hear a little more about that and how you embark on book projects.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's inevitable that pieces of writers show up in their work, or I'll keep it to myself because... I'll talk about me because I don't want to speak for other writers who might say, no, that's not true for me at all. But for me, I have to draw on my own life predilections and experiences in order to enrich the material I'm writing. What becomes the fiction part is the overarching theme of what it is that I'm trying to get at in this particular book or in this particular case. I do think, though, that writers write about the same thing over and over in different ways, and for me, it's love, loss, longing, and the search for home over and over and over again. Maybe, maybe everybody has, has those themes a little bit in their work, but that's because of the way I am, you know, the way I turned out to be. And so it's manifested in, in everything I write. So even though the stories are different, those themes are always there. In all those books. And oh my goodness, you had to do so much research in your reading No, books.
0: I loved it because I, I haven't read <laughs> most of your books. I've read some, of course, but I was like, well, this one looks good. The one that looked really great that I was like, I have to order this right away is the one, I think it's called The Day I Ate Whatever I Wanted. Oh, that's a good one. That's a
1: fun one. That will be a good antidote <laughs> 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 to a sad one. That's short stories and they all have to do in some way or another with food and it was so much fun writing them I, I will tell you that there's a couple in there that are that are sad i think there's two that are sad but the the others are are pretty funny i like reading about sad stuff too i like
0: all of that i mean <laughs> i actually i just started a new group and a new podcast called moms don't have time to lose weight
1: <laughs> oh wow Perfect book for
0: that. yeah so i feel like maybe that we should have a book club for that podcast or something because that seems like a good place to start <laughs> doesn't like to talk about food I mean like, I know I know it's like <laughs> we could we could talk about it all day so <laughs> when you think about your longing for home I know you grew up an army brat and all the rest and a lot of your writing in this book was about growing up and your dad and how your relationship with him changed over time tell me about how your sort of constant relocation has affected that search for you and that need for belonging.
1: Yeah, it really does have an impact, particularly on sensitive children. I went to one high school reunion in my life, and I went two years of high school in Germany and two years in St. Louis, Missouri. And in Germany, it was a bunch of army kids, you know, all going to this actually quite good school there. And it was they who wanted to have the reunion only because we're so small, they said, okay, if you went to Ludwigsburg American High School between the years of this and this, come to a reunion. So it wasn't the typical, you know, 1966 reunion. And one of the things that happened at that reunion is that a large group of us got together and talked about that notion of what what it feels like to be uprooted all the time and how does that impact your personality? And we all agreed that here's what it does. You become a fake. You seem gregarious. You seem like you're wide open and ready for friendship, but you're always holding back because you know you're going to have to leave. And I think that that can bleed into relationships in general that you have that kind of reserve against. You can't invest fully in in everything around you because you're going to be pulled away from it and it's just too devastating. So you invest a little bit. And I was really struck with how every single person in that in that rather large group agreed with that.
0: That's very interesting. Is that why you mentioned in the book how you feel like you fail at your relationships like with your partner now even and that he's very patient with you but that you failed in your first marriage and and I was wondering because you didn't elaborate on that and I found myself thinking well like how, what does she mean like how did she fail how is she feeling now like, What? So can you give us a little
1: more? (laughs) Because okay, we're just gonna deliver the goods here, okay? Because I'm always one step away from saying, fine, the end, we're done. It's very easy for me. I'm sorry to say it's a real character flaw. It's very easy for me to get to that place of saying, forget it, we're done. Because I've I've been there so many times with a place. We're done with this place, we're leaving. And then the other part is it really is true that my parents had what my agent calls a Reagan marriage. They they really laid the gauntlet down. And, and I don't expect in my lifetime to see that kind of love and loyalty again. And boy, as you know, having read the book, it was tough for a while. Holy moly. It was really tough for a while. But I think the the redeeming part of reading this book is to see how it got worked out that it ended and it ended as well as it could have. Wow.
0: Yeah. That was part of the power of it. I think is watching the changes that go on with somebody else and how that love still manifests itself, even in the smallest of gestures. And that was, that's like what those things that, that made me cry the little lunches or I don't know, just these little moments at the table or...
1: You know what got me the most out of all those moments? The fly swatter. My dad, you know, who was this mighty army guy who scared the hell out of everybody, mellowed in his older years. And then at the end, when he went to what was essentially a daycare center, although we called it the VA center, and he made a fly swatter decorated with a daisy. I mean... Well, now fly swatters have a whole other meeting, but never mind. We won't, go, we won't talk about that. But but here she has this essentially useless fly water all fly swatter all decorated with flowers, and who would want to keep that? But she said, "Yes, your father made that for me." And she set it aside. And oh man, I had to stand really still for a moment <laughs> after that one.
0: Yeah, there were there were lots of those. When he was trying to change the battery and the hearing aid and you and your yeah. sister were trying, you were like rooting for him to do yeah. it. And it's not just these moments. It's somehow the way that you're writing about them, how you're so in the moment, like, like the fact that you and your sister, like that moment from the outside might not have been so noticeable, like she, he's in the kitchen and you guys are waiting, but there's actually all that unspoken stuff is what you write about and you capture it. I don't know. It's so powerful.
1: I yeah, think. We were both watching him so intently. Please let him have at least this. Let him be able to change his own hearing aid battery, but nope. Oh. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Well, are you still, are you working on another book now? What, what? What? How can you follow that up with something? I mean, that's like, it's so personal.
1: Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think in part because of the situation in which we find ourselves, I'm uncharacteristically scattered so I wrote another Mason book that I wrote these books that take place in a fictional town there are now three of them the first one is the story of Arthur Love, and I wrote two more and so I wrote another one of those but I'm also I'm very taken with nonfiction. suddenly after having written 10,000 novels you know I, I'm I'm very taken with with nonfiction. so I thought about doing a collection about old boyfriends because if there were a party and if, the, if there were a group of women talking about old boyfriends, I would so be there. I think that whenever we reveal things about the relationships we had with old boyfriends, there's a commonality, but there are also delicious differences. So I've written three and I wanted to do, in essence, a life in boyfriends how i was at the time how they were at the time how these relationships shaped me in at least two instances i went back after many many years and had conversations with these guys one was a a musician and the other the one who took my heart ran over it with a tank and then stepped on it that guy we all have, I think, one, one of those, or many of us do anyway, and boy, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> so yeah, that's another thought, and then I have a lot of ideas that I haven't fleshed out, but I'm, I guess I'm happy at this age that I still have ideas. <laughs> so, um, I am interested, too, in paying it forward in a way. I do writing workshops, not lately, of course. But what I want to do, my legacy in a way, here, here's a big secret. Not that secret, but kind of secret. But what I would like to do is provide a writing retreat house where a group of women could come and know that all they were going to hear is support. And all they were going to do is have time for themselves. And each woman gets a room and I want to, put fresh flowers in there and I want to have books everywhere and a big dining room table that they can gather around and share the day's work with. And so I I did share some of this and, and it enlarged to become not just a writing retreat, but a gathering place for women who could just disconnect for a few days and come back to themselves and be offered cooking classes, painting classes, you know, just just a a place to enrich themselves. So I kind of want to do this. I've been like to rescue houses because, you know, search for home, search for home. So I find these wrecks and transform them into what they used to be. And there's a little one I got that's oh my god! You, my partner, who's the the guy who does construction, said, "Don't go in there. Do not go inside there. It's really bad." But it's a cute little house, so I want to turn that into a cottage. I'm really taken with cottages, and that's the place where I want to provide this. I don't know. I guess it would be my legacy. You know, this 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 place for women. No man allowed. No men
0: Only I think that's amazing. I would love to stay there in a room, a peaceful room with fresh flowers and nothing but connection and dialogue and time for self. That's like a dream. <laughs> I can't even, I don't think I can extricate myself from my life, but boy, that sounds heavenly. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, on your last book idea, there's a memoir called Five Men Who Broke My Heart by an author named Susan Shapiro, who actually Hi. taught me a class at the new school when I was like 20 something. Anyway, it's sort of the same way. She goes back and talks to her past five, her five loves of her life and sees is what it, happens to is them.
1: an older book? or It's or- older.
0: Yeah. It's five, five
1: Men Who Broke My I'm so Five Um, of you
0: broke my heart. I think I have it behind me. I can find it in a minute, but you should check that out. It's good. And also then, Laura Munson is an author. I don't know if you know her, but she just had a book come out called Willow's Grove. And in it, the women go to a retreat similar to what you're talking about, but it's fictionalized. And she actually runs retreats. They're not in a cottage. They're in Montana, I think. But it's the same kind of idea where she has women come and connect, but not only a couple. She has like bigger groups. I think. Anyway, you might want to just in your comp <laughs> research.
1: That's, that's so interesting. See, there's there's no new ideas. It's just the execution. That's not true. It's
0: not true. I mean, it's totally well in, a, well.
1: in a way, it is, and and it's all in the execution. You know, one of the most interesting things I ever did as a writer was to be given a sentence that someone else came up with. The sentence was. It wasn't until she got outside that she realized her socks didn't match, but somehow they didn't surprise her. And when I was given the sentence, I thought, no, I don't like that sentence. I don't want to write using that. But three different authors got that sentence and were told, write a story using that as the first sentence. They were so remarkably different, so remarkably different, all incredibly different directions that we went. So in the same respect, you know, for a woman to write about five men who broke my heart, if you wrote that book, if I wrote that book, she writes that book, they would all be so different. Very true.
0: And I would probably
1: want to read all of them,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? I mean, yeah. So what advice would you have to aspiring authors? You've like done every genre you you're, you've been a successful, prolific author for years. What is the secret truly? How do you do it? And what advice can you give?
1: In a way, I had an advantage in that I never took a writing class. I didn't do the, you know, literary journals, the Iowa Writers' Workshop, or any of that. I didn't know anything about that stuff. I read a lot. I read a lot, and I had always written from the time I was a little kid. So I entered into this whole publishing world with a great deal of Navy Tay, which I think in the end helped me. But as to your point about a, a succinct piece of advice and this really is straight it's absolute truth don't try to imitate anyone else your voice is so valuable your point of view has merit your way of expressing that point of view should come from you because and that's what's interesting Is is to really know a person. I I can't abide small talk because to me it's a lot of noise. I it just I don't want to I don't want to engage in it. I don't want to hear it. So the same thing in writing. I don't want to see somebody being manipulative or calculating. I want to see inside them truly, even if they're talking about other characters. So I'm sitting here at my desk and I have I have these little quotes around. But one thing that i put on here is truth love and risk and those elements are something i always want to be in whatever work i do so if you want to write and you're a little nervous about it remember that nobody has to see it at first it can be just for you the the truth is that when when most of us write you know we get to the point Pretty early on when we think, oh boy, this is great. I want to show everybody this. But if you're afraid of that, don't worry about that. It's okay. You can be afraid. And in fact, if you're nervous about it, it's probably a good sign. If you're taking a risk in whatever form that takes and you're a little nervous about it because you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if this is any good. It's kind of strange. It's probably pretty good. So be yourself first and foremost And understand, too, that the Nobel Committee is not going to come and knock at your door and say, have you finished your book yet? You have to get it out there if you want to be published. You have to take that chance of submitting and being rejected. If you're rejected, you have to remember that reading other people's work is subjective. And if if you get rejected, it might have nothing to do with how good your work is. It might have to do with, let's say you submitted a novel. It could be that they just bought a novel on this theme. It's And yours is even better, but they can't buy it now because they just bought that. So, so you have to keep it church and state. You have to concentrate on your writing and what it is that you're trying to do. When you're all done and if you wanna be published and you wanna submit at that point, Think about marketing and all that other stuff. Frankly, I think it's better to let other people think about that entirely. But I can't tell you how many people have told me I have this great idea and they're already thinking about marketing and how much money they're going to make and that they ride in the beautiful car to go to the set, and they haven't written it yet. The joy is always in the writing. That's always the best part is getting from what's in here out there. And the other stuff is... It's nice. It's wonderful to be on the best sell list. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? But it doesn't top that feeling of having gotten something out that you needed to get out. Blah, blah, blah. That was a long answer. To
0: I loved it. I'm like hanging on your every word. Thank you. No, that was great advice. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there who just heard that who really needed to hear it today. So
1: thank you. I'm glad. And the other thing, of course, as you know, is read, 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 read. Yes, I do. I love <laughs> yeah, it. are formidable. <laughs> not only do you read, you know, do you know how many interviews are done? Can I just say this? Uh, how many interviews are done where the interviewer obviously has not read the book and so... You you understand that right away as an interviewee. You 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 glean that information pretty quickly, and then you know how you're going to have to structure everything. You actually read the book. Not only did you read the book, but you remember everything about it. And and I know you do that with with you know, all your books. So that's an incredible talent.
0: I try. I mean, I can't get through every book I have on the show. Sometimes I haven't read more than 50 pages, but when I love a book as I did yours, I, I love it. And I do, I, I can't, I can't remember anything about my life, like college, forget it. But like, <laughs> if you want to ask me something about your book in like five years, I'm going to remember it. I don't know. It's a weird twist of memory. So at least I can use it now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, well, thank you. This has been so nice. And thank, thank you again you. for your book. And I'm going to give it to so many people and recommend it and whatever. And just thanks for spending your time with me today.
1: I truly appreciate it. Thank you. And again, thank you generally for all you're doing.
0: And keep me posted on the cottage. And maybe by the time you have it rolled out into the world, I'll I'll have older kids and you <laughs> can get there.
1: And teach quilts in every room. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks again to today's sponsor, Sugar Wish. Send a surprise Sugar Wish to somebody you love and check it out yourself, sugarwish.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.